Okay, so tonight our story is going to come to a screaming halt. For the past couple of weeks, we as the audience of this drama have been in a frenzy of activity. There's been running, and there's been storming, and there's been hurling, and there's been crying out to God, and there's been trying to row the boat back, and it's just been like a James Bond movie, all kinds of action, and then he gets thrown into the sea, and then silence, and we're left to wonder what happened to Jonah. And if you didn't already know the story, you would have been all week long wondering what happened to Jonah. Did he die? The sailors are wondering that, right? The sailors threw him in. He must have died. Jonah is definitely wondering that. We're going to see that in today's text. He thinks he's dead. And so it comes to a screaming halt. One commentator said this. In this chapter, once Jonah plunges into the sea, further events turn strangely limp. It's just kind of a boring chapter. Not really. The, the action is about to come to a full halt in order to leave Jonah alone with his God. And so in the silence, there is a sense in which we too are dragged beneath the surface of the water, uncertain and holding our breath for what will happen next. Remember, you are Jonah. That's the way the Hebrews teach this text. You are Jonah. And so I think that God wants us to slow down and ponder something. We need to be still and know that he is God. Now, another commentator said, if we're honest with ourselves, we often live at a hectic velocity, this fast pace of our lives. We're Americans, right? We're busy. It's our mantra. How you doing? Busy right? This fast pace of our life many times marks, marked, it's marked by our own secret rebellion. And it means we have no time for stillness of soul, for solitude to examine who we really are and what we really have or haven't done. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to slow down. I need to take a, I need to take a breath. Like this week, my son dropped my iPad and cracked the screen. Oh, then I was on my way to a leadership retreat, and I got into a car accident. I haven't been in an accident since I was 18, I think. And then the leadership retreat really just ended a few hours ago. I just showed up, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I need to take a deep breath and slow down. So let's do that. Let's do that together. Let's take a deep breath. And I want you to just to relax, and I'm being serious. Maybe you can just kind of sit back a little bit, you know, get comfortable in that metal chair. Uh, if you want to kick your shoes off, that's fine. I'm not going to. Um, just relax. This isn't yoga, right? I'm just trying to get you to relax because I think that God wants us to be still and know that he is God. Chill out, take a breath, and ponder. And I think that in this text, God wants us to ponder three things, and here they are. The first thing God wants us to ponder is death. Oh, gee, Mike, this is fun. <laughs> Let's talk about death. Welcome to Missio Day. <laughs> But honestly speaking, death should put things into perspective, doesn't it? And so we need to contemplate death. Jonah is contemplating death. The next thing we need to th think about is idols. Jonah makes this magnificent statement that he who worships or clings to idols forfeits the grace that belongs to them. And so we need to talk about idolatry. Truth of the matter is, is Jonah's an idolater, and so are you. And we need to talk about that. We need to, God wants us to calm down and say, admit it. You don't worship me. You worship something else. And then the third thing I want to say is, is, is there's a good news. Even though you're dying, and you are, and even though you worship idols, and you do, 
there's good news, and that is that Jesus loves sinners who are dying idolaters, and he's glad to give grace and the free gift of grace to save you from death and to give you full life, okay? So we're going to talk about death, idols, and life. Or another way of saying it is this. We're going to talk about two extremes, death and life, way over here, and the thing that separates the two in the middle is idolatry. It serves as a wall and a barrier. You cannot leave death into life if you have idols. Does that sound fun? And we're going to get deep tonight, so keep relaxing. <laughs> keep relaxing. Take those breaths. Breathe in. Breathe out. <laughs> All right, let's talk about death. Let's talk about death. Um, you're going to die, right? What would be on your mind if you were just a few feet away from death? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever been a few feet away from possible death? I have, just yesterday. Um, what would be on your mind? What would you think about? Those things that matter most come to mind first, right? Now, this may sound weird to you, but um, I think about death a lot. Maybe I'm morbid. And, and, and I think if, if, if you think about death a lot, you start to think, I'm going to live for the now, right? I'll give you an example. Like, if I knew I was going to die in a few weeks, I wouldn't waste my time going to the gym and working out. So since I like to live life to the fullest, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I, I do work out sometimes. But I made that joke on purpose because I think when we think about death, it's easy for us to crack some jokes, right, and make, make light of it. All kidding aside, let's be serious. What is going to happen when you die? Jonah thinks he's dying. So let's do this. We'll just jump right into discussion. All kidding set aside. Try not to joke about this. What do you think your funeral is going to look like? Like, who's going to be there and what are they going to say? And then, what would you like it to look like? Who's going to be there and what would you like them to say? Let's talk about that for three, three intense minutes. You know, the bad news is you're, you are going to die, and I promise you that. Um, and um, Jonah is definitely, in, at this point, thinking he's dead. In fact, in, in the text, he actually says some things. He says, he's crying out from the belly of Sheol, or the grave, Verse 2, he's as low as he could possibly go, and he, he paints this picture of sinking to the roots of the mountains where he will be trapped or barred forever, verse 6. So he sees himself as going like to hell, like in this place where he's as low as you can go, and you're barred forever. He's dead in a bad place, and his life is fainting away. And through those first seven verses, he paints this picture of total despair. And so what I need to talk about tonight, real quickly, is the difference between the way we see death and life and the way the Hebrew people see death and life. So in the Hebrew culture, when you talk about death and life, it's not about whether or not you have a beating heart, okay? So death does not mean your heart ceased to beating, and life does not mean your heart is beating. That's the way we look at it, right? You're dead when your heart stops beating. But in the Hebrew culture, death is this spiritual thing. In this song and in every song that the Psalms sing about death, it's a spiritual separation from God. We're all going to die, right? But in, in that death, will you be dead? Or will you experience the Sheol, this grave? Or will you experience life? So death means separation from God. In fact, Jonah uses this word sheol, and sheol, what is sheol? Sheol is like sometimes translated the grave, sometimes translated hell. It's this place of permanent separation from the presence of God. Now, life 
is also the same exact opposite. For Hebrew culture, life doesn't just mean you're alive. It means you have life. And so someone who has life is, is very lively. They have full life. And what that repre- what, how that's represented in the Hebrew culture is if you have a covenantal relationship with God, you have life. And you have eternal life with that God. But if you don't, you have the exact theological opposite extreme. You have totally separation from the God who is the author of life. So if God's the author of life and he's over there and you're separated from him, you're separated from life and you're in Sheol. So Sheol is the extreme absence of the presence of God. Incidentally, that's exactly what Jonah wants, right? How many times in chapter one does Jonah tell us he was fleeing from the presence of God? And now he has gotten what he wants. Be careful, <laughs> right, what you wish for. And in, in that moment, he says, I'm crying out from the belly of Sheol. And one commentator says, that belly of Sheol metaphor is unique only to Jonah, and it signifies the darkest deepest despair of anything we see in the Old Testament. In other words, Jonah's in hell. Incidentally, the way that Jonah's crying out from the belly of Sheol is almost exactly the way Jesus cries out when he's hanging on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and in that moment, he is experiencing Sheol. He's experiencing separation from God. It says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. Separation from the presence of life. And then in that hour, three hours later, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And I wonder what that sounds like, if you can imagine being there on that hill and Jesus hanging on that cross for over three hours. And then he belts out with a loud voice. God, why? you've forsaken me. Because in that moment, he took on not just the sins of the world, but the cost of those sins. Everyone's sin, the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. The wages of sin is death, which means when you sin, you'll get paid for that sin, and what you'll be paid is death. So the wages of sin is death. And while Jesus was on that cross bearing the sins of the world, he paid for all of our sins. The wrath of God was poured out upon our Lord Jesus Christ, and he felt it deeply. And he said, this is hell to be separated from the presence of God. John Calvin says, Jesus went through hell in order to give you salvation. But there's good news. The free gift of God is life, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so you're going to die. The question is, is when you die physically, will you also die spiritually or will you live spiritually? Don't you want the free gift of grace that Jesus died already for you so that you can have full life for eternity? Now, that's the concept of death and life in the Hebrew context. And now we need to talk about idolatry. Because Jonah mentions this interesting thing. He says, um, and, and these people, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols, in the ESV it says, forsake their hope of steadfast love. In the NIV, I think it says, forfeit the grace that is theirs. I like that a little better. 
And he says, but I'll, I'll give a voice of thanksgiving and I will sacrifice to you, O God, what I have vowed to you I will pay. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. So he makes this comment. Anyone who clings to vain idols forfeit the grace or the steadfast love or the hesed is the Hebrew word that is theirs. If you cling to idols, you're forfeiting grace. Do you cling to idols? One of my favorite lines in my favorite movie is William Wallace from Braveheart. He says, every man dies, but not every man lives. That's the best Scottish accent I got. <laughs> so everyone's going to die, but will you live? And if you're living for idols, those idols are sucking the life out of you, and so you're not living, you're dying. Or another person I like is Dave Matthews, and he sings this song characteristically of Dave Matthews. It's very spiritual, while at the same time very blasphemous. I don't know how he does that. I don't know what he's talking about, to be honest, but he says, you don't want to be dead before you die. So here's the question. You're alive. You're going to die. Are you now alive, or are you a dead man walking? If you're clinging to idols, Jonah says, you're a dead man walking. You may be a dead man walking if you're an idol worshiper. Oh, wait a minute. You are an idol worshiper, so you could be a dead man walking if you've not experienced the free gift of grace of God. So what's idolatry, really? And this is such a fascinating conversation, to tell you the truth. I named my son Josiah. Josiah was famous for cutting down all the idols. And so I've done a lot of research on idols and idolatry. Here's what I've come up with. There's really two ways that we as evangelicals talk about idolatry. The first way is the biblical way. It's in the old days, in the Bible, people worshipped little statues of stone and wood, and those were idols, and that's what they worshipped. And that still happens today. Actually, I was talking to someone this morning who said he saw people in another country worshipping idols, and they called them idols, so it still happens today. But for us here in the West, we have no context for that, right? It doesn't matter at all. So, so to think of idolatry like that doesn't help us, because we're all like, no, I don't worship no idols. So then what we do, as, an, as a good evangelical, is we metaphorize it, right? We make it into a metaphor, and that metaphor usually means materialism. So you don't worship little gods, but you do your iPad. You, you don't worship the little, little idols, but you do worship stuff. And honestly speaking, I think it goes way deeper than that. Like, you really don't worship your iPad, but, you're repre- but what that represents is something even deeper, Whatever that iPad gives you or whatever that thing that you would list as your idol, what does it give you? And that's really what you're worshiping, not the iPad. So what is idolatry? Well, when we talk about idolatry, we really should talk about worship. That's essentially what it is. What do we worship? The word worship comes um, from the root word worth plus ship. And ship has nothing to do with the whale, okay? Ship... (laughs) is it denotes a state of being. So an example would be ownership, right? If I have ownership of something, I'm in the state of being the owner of that thing. So worship would mean the state of being worth So God, we would say, is in the state of being worthy. So we give him our worth-ship. We're worth-shipping him. <laughs> we give him worship. The definition of worship is to honor or to adore, especially as a deity. We think of God most of the time. We honor and we adore Jesus. That's what worship is. You can honor and adore things other than deities, though, right? You can honor and adore yourself. You can honor and adore concepts or needs. Synonyms. Now, synonym 
is words that are the same, right? So they're synonymous to worship. So you can use this word instead of worship if you want. It's the same. It means the same thing. Synonyms for worship is adoration, reverence, and look at this next word, idolatry. So when we talk about idolatry, we're really talking about what do we hold at ultimate worth? Where is your worth? What do you place worth in? And that gets your worship. How do you get your own worth? Where does your worth come from? That might reveal an idol. So think about this. Real quick, while you're relaxing, what is it that, I, that gets my ultimate worth? What is it that I, that I value the most? Where do I find my own, you know, what defines me? Where do I get my worth? Now, if you can picture whatever that is, whether it be whatever it is, I'm not even going to give examples. Imagine what it would feel like to lose that thing. Then what would happen to your life if someone took it from you or if you lost it? Now, let me steer your thinking a little bit because I want you to be on the right track. If you're thinking iPads or BMWs or leather couches, I think you're kind of missing the point because even though we talk about that in America, our idols are material things, I think that's kind of a cop-out because none of us in this room actually believe that we worship our stuff. We'll say that in our little discussion, right? Well, you know, I like things. Well, we all like things. I like my house, but I don't worship my house. No, I don't think any of us really believe we worship those things that we often name as our idols. But there's something that that house gives you that you worship. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's a reputation. Or there's something that, you know, your job gives you. You don't worship your job. Sometimes you hate your job. But you kind of worship something that that job gives you, whether it be security, whether it be control, whether it be power, whether it be... Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I want us to do now is to talk about your idols. But I, I'm not going to let you off the hook. You can't just say, don't list an Apple product, okay? Um, I, I need you to go deeper. And, and, and here's some more questions that might help you think deeper. <laughs> what are you most afraid of? Where, where do you have most of your fear? What do you find yourself worrying about most? What are you most afraid of losing? That might reveal an idol. Here's more questions. Where do you find refuge or pleasure or security? You're having a bad day? Where do you run? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't run to God. That might reveal an idol. You actually honestly might have thousands of idols. John Calvin is characteristically quoted at this point in a sermon, and he says, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us from his mother's womb, we expert in inventing idols. Amen. We do. We do. Anything but God. Anything. Give me anything but God. I don't know why, but that's the way we are. So what is your idol? So here's a question. Name your idols, and here's these helpful questions. What do you think about is most valuable? Where do you find your worth? What defines you? What do you fear? What do you tend to worry most about? Where do you find refuge, safety, comfort, security? Are you stressed? <laughs> I want you to relax. Just relax. Think about your idols. You have three minutes. and Keller. I love Keller. So listen to what he says in, in, in a book called Counterfeit Gods, which is all about idolatry. To live for anything else but God leads to breakdown and decay. Or 
Idolatry is the wall that separates you from life. You, it is stuck to life to you. You will die. When a fish, for instance, leaves the water, that which he was built for, he's not free. He's dead. <laughs> In the same way, worshiping other things besides God, that which you were made to worship, right? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Leads to a loss of meaning. And if we achieve those things even, they cannot deliver satisfaction because they were never meant to be God's. <laughs> They were never meant to replace God. So, so when we cling to idols, as Jonah says, we forfeit the grace that is to be ours. We just die. It sucks the life out of us. And so that's why John says, be careful, little children, to keep yourself from idols. And it's real. They're everywhere. We're factories of idols. We need to kill them. So how do we go from death and jump over those idols and crush them and kick them and ninja fight them and then get to life? The Hebrew concept of life, this full life, as Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to the full. Or as William Wallace says, every man dies, but not every man lives. <laughs> that was better? I'm getting better as, as I get older. So I want to end with life. And I want you to leave tonight, because this has been dark and depressing. I want you to leave tonight with life, full life, life full of chesed. What Jonah says is chesed. I want you to have some full life tonight. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about two words that Jonah uses because those last two sentences in this prayer are phenomenal. They're the climax. He says, those who cling to vain idols forfeit the grace, chesed, that is theirs. And then he goes, but salvation comes from the Lord. And so I want to talk about the word chesed and the word that's used for salvation because it's a phenomenal word. So first, let's talk about hesed. You may have heard this before if you've grown up in the church, but it is a beautiful word, my favorite word. <laughs> it literally means the grace of God or the mercy of God or sometimes translated the loving kindness of God or sometimes translated the steadfast love of God or more woodenly or literally translated the loyalty of God. As you can see, this is a powerful word. We can't even pick a word to define it. It's chesed. Can you say it with me? Chesed, yeah. It's, it's, it's H-E-S-D, uh, but some scholars spell it C-H-E-S-D. If I had the guts, I'd name my daughter Chesed. Chesed is a beautiful word. God put himself into a covenant, into a contract with his people. And if you're in a covenant relationship with God, he is loyal to you to always give you love, to always give you kindness, loving kindness, to always give you mercy and grace. And his love endures forever. It's an amazing word. In fact, one of the psalmists, whether it be David or another, he calls God his Hesed, I love it. What comes with hesed? When God gives us hesed, here's some things that usually always follow in the Old Testament. It says, God, I, I, I will give you hesed, and here's what that will look like for you. And it looks like this, redemption from trouble. David is always saying this. Your loving kindness, your mercy, your grace, save me from my enemies, save me from, some, from trouble. Salvation from death, similar as we're talking about now, from death into life. It gives you, it offers you full life, spiritual life. My Hesed will give you life. You see that a lot in the Psalms. And then last, but certainly not least, and salvation from sin. So now maybe you're starting to see how those two words, Hesed and salvation, start to relate to each other. Uh, again, 
Um, David says, my steadfast love. He calls God my hasdi. It's, it's God becomes hesed, my hesed, my steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, and my deliverer, my shield, in whom I take refuge. Do you want hesed? I want God's hesed. If you cling to vain idols, you forfeit that. And that's the thing that gives you life. It gives you salvation. It gives you deliverance from troubles. Ironically, we tend to run to those things because we think those things will give us life, and we think those things will give us refuge from our bad days and our troubles. But Jonah just prophetically, I guess he is a prophet, says you will lose your life when you run to those things. Only God can give you life. Salvation comes from the Lord. He's the author of life. There's no other way to get it. Every other way just sucks the life from you. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Okay, so now this word salvation. I'm getting ready to throw, throw a, a curveball or, or hit a home run. I don't know. Not me, but the Bible. <laughs> the word salvation in Hebrew sounds like this. Wait for it. Listen to this. Yeshua. Does it sound familiar? Salvation comes from the Lord. Yeshua. The Lord's salvation is what is translated. Yeshua. It should sound familiar to your ears because it should. One commentator said, the Christian reader who hears this conclusion to Jonah's prayer in its original language cannot miss the word that sounds so much like the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus was born, or about to be born, an angel came to Joseph and said, your wife's going to have a baby, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, Hebrew, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sin. So salvation, Yeshua, comes from the Lord. Jesus said, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so I will be three days in the heart of the earth. As Calvin said, Jesus went through hell so that you can have salvation. The acid, the grace, the mercy, the loving kindness comes from the Lord, and it's from Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So if you're here tonight and you've not received the mercies, the grace of God, I invite you as Jonah invites you, as Jesus invites you, to call out on the name of the Lord and you will receive chesed. You'll receive salvation. You will receive Yeshua. And you can do that tonight. And for the rest of us who have already called out to the Lord and been saved, may we not cling to idols. May we purify our hearts right now. Let us come forward and, and take communion and confess our idols to the Lord and say, Lord, I have given this thing worth, but Yeshua deserves my worth. He's worthy. So let's worship as the band comes forward. Let's worship Christ tonight. Let's confess our idolatry. Let's purify our hearts so that we can worship in purity and give Jesus the worship that he deserves. Can I get a, a amen? Would you, would you pray with me? Father, I confess and I admit that I'm an idolater and that I worship myself and that I worship so many things, and I think it would be fair to say almost anything and everything other than you. And I ask for your forgiveness.
And I ask that you would give me grace, you would give me hesed, as you have been given. Uh, even the fact that I'm still alive is, is a, suggests that you are God of mercy. And I pray, Lord, that you will, in this room tonight, burden our hearts for those things that we place at a higher value than they should be placed because they are valueless and they suck the very life from us. And you came to give us life and to give us life to the fullest extent of that word. And we want life, and we want that life to spill over into dark places in this community where people need to know that their idolatry is sucking the life from them, and they need life. So I pray now, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to confess those things to you and to kill them, and to get rid of them, so that we can worship you for all the worth that you are worthy of. In Jesus' name, amen.